Good morning. It is great to be back. Uh, before we dig into God's Word, we do want to talk about some really exciting things happening in, uh, in our church and in ministry, and so Pastor Chris is here to, to share that, and then we're going to pray as well a second time. Good morning. I have some uh, some awesome news to share with you all. Uh, as many of you know, we've been uh, waiting for a while to get our Lake Aroch uh, campus up and running. And we are planning on having it uh, launch now, ne- like Easter 2020. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> We're actually going to be getting started this Easter. So in just over a month, we're going to be launching on Easter weekend. And so I, uh, I want to give a big thanks to those of you who are in the Lake Rock, Rock community uh, for your patience as we've been working this uh, through and trusting God to uh, supply us with all that we need. We have a fantastic team, uh, a base team of people that are going to be coming from all over the Fraser Valley to, uh, to make this happen. Right now we have 20 mid-20s adults, like 25 adults and 20 kids, 19 kids, I think, or something like that. So there's a huge base team that's going to be starting up. And so we're very, very excited uh, to be a part of that. Uh, also exciting because of this, it's uh, because we are, we're drawing from people that are going to be coming from Agassiz campus as well as Chilliwack uh, campus. There's uh, um, new opportunities for those people in those campuses to start to, uh, to serve in maybe ways they didn't know uh, that they could serve or would be able to serve. Uh, and one of them, uh, you'll notice this morning, was uh, children's ministry. Uh, because we don't have a, uh, someone to, to serve this morning in grades four to six, uh, because we're going to be pulling out, and this is before we leave. So uh, we're going to be yanking out some of uh, your children's church leaders uh, to go and, and serve with us in Lake Arock. So this is an awesome opportunity for those of you who aren't currently serving uh, around here to be able to uh, dig in and to uh, serve these little guys like this guy. Do you want to <laughs> see what I did there? <laughs> little fist bump? There we go. Can, can you say hi? Hey. There we go. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's awesome. So that's one thing. I'm, just, I'm really excited to be able to see what God's going to be doing uh, in all of our campuses, and in particular uh, in, in the lives of all of us as we are the church. Right? We don't go to church, we are the church, and to be able to serve in it is, a, is an awesome privilege. So I encourage you to be thinking about it, praying about it, talking to uh, kidsmen, folks in particular, but anywhere, right? Like, not everybody uh, digs kids, right? So, but who can like this guy? <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll stop now. Thanks, Chris. Just stay here for a moment. Uh, We're going to pray again. So we're going to pray about all of this. Uh, And uh, as many of you know, maybe not everybody, but uh, uh, Chris's wife and Caddy's mom had surgery this past week. And so let's continue to pray for her full recovery. And uh, you can talk to Chris about that. We've been praying uh, uh, for Doug Stryker. You're back this morning. Welcome back. You were in Puerto Rico rebuilding uh, homes there. Had a great experience from the little bit we've talked. Doug said he's available to, to answer questions if anybody uh, has uh, questions about his trip after the service. But uh, praising God, you're back safe. A couple of other things. Anna Wheeler uh, took off to the island. Her grandma had a heart attack. She's being assessed this week to treatment options and further testing. Her grandpa has dementia. They're trying to sort it all out. So let's pray for uh, Anna and her family. And also Diane this morning, you let me know. Was it your mom or dad? Your mom had a heart attack. 
Yeah, and she lives up north. And so you're going to go visit. So, Diane, we want to pray for you as well. So uh, let's do that. Father, uh, thank you so much for uh, the exciting things you're doing among us. We have needs and hurts, but we also have so many things to be thankful for. Mm -hmm. And I am super thankful today for your provision, your protection over us. And uh, for what's happening in Lake Arak and that whole area, and I pray, God, for Chris, Sarah, Caddy, their family, as they lead the team, that they would launch really, really strongly and successfully for your glory, not ours, Lord. We want to see people come to faith in Jesus over there, in that area and here, and uh, in Harrison and in this whole part of the valley. So we, we ask God that you would pour out your spirit to go ahead of us, that uh, the valleys would be filled in, the mountains would be made level, that there would be straight paths for you, Lord Jesus, to be known. And I pray that uh, you would fill in the spaces for workers uh, that are needed because the harvest is so plentiful. Thank you for the opportunities we have here to teach the good news to our children, and I pray, God, you would raise up uh, some workers as we send others to a mission field. And uh, Lord, you know the gaps. We ask that you would move in our hearts to be faithful to your call in our lives in this area. I pray for uh, Sarah, for Anna, for Diane this morning. Uh, and we pray, God, the needs physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually would be met. Um, and that your will would be done and that you would be glorified in all of these very difficult trials that they're going through. We lift them up to you. We pray for healing and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. Switch microphones and ask you this morning to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. It's really good to be back, by the way, and we appreciate all your prayers as uh, we were away attending to uh, my mom's passing and all of the things that go with that. I'm going to talk about it maybe a little bit in my message this morning, but uh, it was a really good experience, really good. So we do appreciate your prayers. Our goals uh, as a family for the, ex for the whole process, I guess you could say, the whole experience was that... Um, Number one, that God would be glorified, the name of Jesus would be lifted up, and secondly, that my mom would be really honored, and both things happened exceptionally well, and so we're, we're very thankful for that, and that uh, um, she truly is embracing what God had uh, for her all along. So, uh, so let's read Genesis 12 and, um, and talk about the second half of this chapter this morning. Really quiet in here. I feel like spring, though. It's awesome. Where's everybody else? The sun is shining. I guess maybe that would explain it, but it's, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> everybody else missed the time change. That's all. Verse 20, all right? Genesis chapter 12, verse, uh, sorry, verse 10 through 20. Now there was famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. 
and he had sheep, oxen, (laughs) and oxygen, Uh, sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Uh, Let's just take a moment to pray over this one. Lord, thank you for your word. And may you uh, truly, you be our teacher today as you apply your word by your Holy Spirit. Uh, We thank you that we do have your word to guide us into how we should live and to learn from those who've gone before us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Chris introduced our series uh, that we're in in Genesis now through till summer. And, uh, and so we saw a couple of weeks ago as we began in Genesis in chapter 12, uh, focusing on Abraham and all of those who came after him, that God chose Abraham and called him for whatever reason. Uh, God said, here's a person that I will use uh, to bless and to make him a blessing to the whole world. A- Abram found, for whatever reason, uh, grace in the eyes of God so that through him, all of us could find grace Because ultimately, um, the promise that God gave to Abraham is a promise made to us. That the seed that would come from Abraham would eventually be the Messiah, Jesus. And that everyone who now knows Jesus as Savior is included in the promise that God gave to Abram. The promise to bless and not to curse. As in the days of Noah, when he destroyed wickedness with a flood of judgment. Instead, This promise was to pour out his wrath on the promised seed, Jesus, who endured the curse of crucifixion for us and so destroyed sin with a flood of grace. The grace that was promised to Abram to bless the nations around him, ultimately the whole world, to even bless you and and me here today, uh, to to make um, my mom's passing a blessed experience because the promise was for her. And the land that that God promised to Abraham, the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, is a land because of the promised seed of Christ through Abraham um, is now a realization and a reality for my mom. Um, We uh, got the news that my mom probably had hours to live. She declined so fast towards the end. And so we were literally on the way here to this building uh, Friday two weeks ago uh, for our community worship night. And it was good to be here to worship. I had to make a split-second decision. Do I want to go back to Saskatchewan and hope to make it in time or stay in worship and experience my mom's passing via video, a messenger video call? And if the stars would have lined up right, I actually could have got there about an hour before she died. But there was too many risks and variables. So we said, okay, we're going to stay in worship. I called my mom one last time, 6.30, just before worship. And she knew she couldn't speak at that point, but I knew that she was responding to me. And uh, I prayed over her. And uh, literally 12 hours later, she passed into the promised land, the land that was promised to Abram and his descendants. 
It's a beautiful experience to go home that night and get dialed in, so to speak, by video, and for Marcy and I to sit on the couch all night, Friday into Saturday, um, and watch my mom breathe her last breaths. 10-hour video call and enter into the presence of God Almighty. It was uh, an amazing experience. And so I I thank you for your prayers uh, through that. And so, friends, the promise is real. When we talk about things in Genesis (laughs) chapter 12, made centuries ago, these are realities for you and for me here today. And it's it's a a renewed... um, it puts a renewed hope and vision, not only uh, hope into my life, but also a renewed vision. That there are people all around us who are dying without Jesus, without ever having received the promise given to Abraham. And we need to do all we can to make sure there are more testimonies like my mom had. The church was packed. She impacted people that we had no clue uh, were impacted by her life, her testimony, her faithfulness, uh, her prayers. Uh, she truly was a Proverbs 31 woman of God that, uh, that lived the reality of Jesus every day of her life. Um, I could go on and on, but this isn't a tribute to my mom. But back to Abraham, it applies to our text. At least that's the way I'm thinking about it today. Uh, incredibly, Abraham, or Abram, who would become later Abraham, he was told by God to, to leave his home to leave everything that he knew and take a good chunk of his family and venture into the unknown with nothing but the promises of God. He didn't even know God existed before that point and God tapped him on the shoulder and said, I want you to leave your land and your, your family and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. And he said, okay, I'll go. And he went, that was amazing. And so because of that, he was counted in Hebrews 11, if you read in the New Testament, as one of the greatest heroes of the faith. But hear this, as incredible as the faith of Abraham was in our text two weeks ago, it did not take long for his great faith to falter. And you, I mean, really, you can't blame him. This was so new, and he had no clue what he was doing. But he tripped up hard, which we see in our text this week. And, and listen, here's, here's the essence of where we're going today. If you have ever ridden high on the wings of faith, <laughs> only to come crashing down to the reality of your own sin, sinfulness and failure, as I have, and as Abram did, then you will be able to identify this morning and take comfort and encouragement from today's message. Because we sang it already <laughs> Our sins, though they are many, our sins, they are many, yet his mercy is more. (laughs) Thank you, Elise, for sharing that new song with us because that is the essence of this text. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Abraham was a man of great faith, and yet his faith faltered, and he, he stumbled pretty hard. And this morning, if you're currently riding high on these wings of faith, today's message is going to be a really good reminder that maybe you're not as able or as heroic as you'd like to believe that you are. Um, what, what, what do we do when our faith falters, as Abram's did, and as yours and as mine surely will? What do we do with that? Let's take a look at it. I'm going to divide this text up into three parts. And uh, where it all starts is with cracks 
with these cracks that develop in our faith. And so number one, verses 10 through 13, it all starts with the cracks of unbelief. Now there was famine in the land. And, and so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a, beautiful, uh, you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me f- because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. Abram, this this great hero of the faith who left everything to take God at his word and follow him was immediately tested and he faltered. He found himself overwhelmed by circumstances and and, and fair enough, it says that there was a severe famine in the land. This was not an easy trip he was making. It was hard, he was thirsty along with everybody who was with him. He was responsible for a large group of people and animals. And this isn't surprising because a life of faith is not an easy path. When God calls us to do something extraordinary, he's calling us to a very difficult path. I think we do people uh, an injustice when they come to faith in Christ and tell them that it's a cakewalk from there. It's not true. In fact, from that point, it may get even more difficult but hang in there. So he turned his back on the land that God had called to him to, and he made this detour. And in a sense, he was turning his back on what God had promised him. Uh, I mean, was Egypt the land that God had told him to go to? No, it wasn't. This was not the land that he was supposed to leave his land for. So we see a small crack beginning to develop when Abraham started to take matters into his own hands and take a little detour. You see, in in the Old Testament, going down to Egypt is frequently uh, an alternative to trusting God. Pharaoh was powerful. He had resources. There was the Nile River, which had water. (laughs) And so Abraham took the alternative. It's interesting that he ventured to Egypt from the region of Bethel, And Bethel is literally the house of God. And yet you see in this uh, story, uh, as uh, in in, um, opposition to other times where Abram and others made key decisions in their lives, in this instance, there's no mention of worship. There's no altar that is built. There's no conversation with God that happens. He just decides on his own. Crack number two. It's not that going down to Egypt wasn't a natural choice. Like I said, they had resources. It's just that his decision was not driven by faith. It was driven by his fear. Crack number three. Uh, A life of faith doesn't eliminate fear. We're people. We have fears. Uh, But what it does mean is that we can submit our fears to the one who actually can do something about them. There's a difference between fear and a spirit of fear. What do we do with those fears? So he used human logic, uh, crack number four. (laughs) The the egg keeps cracking. (laughs) A little bit at a time. 
He used human logic, which was driven by his fears, not his faith in God. He relied on his own understanding. Abram had stopped trusting God, and when you stop trusting God, you stop worshiping God. And when you stop worshiping God, your spiritual life begins to wither and falter, and that's what's happening here, and the cracks of unbelief begin to show. Um, the passage that my mom herself chose for the pastor to preach at her service which a couple of her grandchildren read publicly was Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It's a passage that guided her life. Not saying my mom's life was easy. I'm sure there was lots of times of fear and doubt and worry and anxiety and stress like we all have. But this is what she hung her hat on. Proverbs 3. I'm going to start at verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, my daughter, but let your heart keep my commands, what I tell you to do. Uh, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Peace. Abram didn't have peace in this situation, as we're going to see. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. When fear sets in, trust. Don't lean on your own understanding. This is what Abraham was doing. He's like, I can figure this out. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. You won't need to take that detour down to Egypt. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So when Abram stopped trusting in God's wisdom and substituted for confidence in his own wisdom, here's where it got him. So he determined to take a detour and leave Canaan and go to Egypt, uh, the land that looked promising, but it was not the promised land. It looked promising, but it wasn't promised. You see the difference? And as he approached Egypt, he faced another problem. His wife Sarah was very beautiful and he was worried. He was going where he shouldn't go, which led him to do something that he should not do. Crack number five. My mom used to say to us, you know, Eldon, nothing good ever happens after midnight. Did you ever hear that as a kid growing up? Uh, and uh, it, it, it's debatable. I think, I think that uh, it's largely true. There are some good things that happen after midnight, um, but nothing happens at good. Nothing good happens after midnight, especially if you're like at a party or at the bar and you've been drinking, and you've gone where you shouldn't go, and you know that the inevitable is going to happen. That's what Abram was doing. He went where he shouldn't go, which led him to do something that he shouldn't do. Biblical commentators tend to agree that Abram had some sort of a plan that would buy him time because in, in ancient days, there's a patriarchal uh, system of rulership, but there was this thing called fratriarchy, <laughs> a fraternity or fra fratriarchy, however you want to call it. Uh, it was a custom at that time wherein where there, where there was no father in the picture, the brother assumed legal guardianship of his sister, pertaining especially to obligations and responsibilities in all, all legalities, but also in arranging marriage on her behalf. And so Abraham is thinking about this, and 
Uh, typically, when a, when a brother took over, I mean, the process was long anyway. It was a long process of giving your sister away in the hand of marriage, which would have bought Abraham just enough time to get into to Egypt to get some of the, the supplies replenished, to get refueled and continue on his trip to the land that God had promised to him. Uh, and it would buy him some time, so thought Abe. Oh, Abe, baby. But we can all agree, no matter what his rationalization, this was a very dangerous move. He was gambling. He was selfish. Sound familiar? (laughs) It was uh, really the bottom line, it was quite despicable what he was doing to Sarai and to the call of God on his life. You see, in Ephesians 5, we, we see that God has called a husband to lay down his life for his wife, just as Christ laid down his life for his bride, the church. And Abraham was doing just the opposite. He laid Sarai down at the altar for his own sake. And all of a sudden, the cracks of his unbelief that were forming widened hugely, and they became this chasm of unbelief. That's the second part of this text. It went from the cracks of unbelief as his faith was beginning to falter to this big chasm. Verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And, And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house and for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. So Abram got what he wanted and more. He had... Sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. The guy was riding high on life, but at the same time, he was like, oh no, what did I do? I'm sure none of that stuff mattered to him anymore, all of the camels and the donkeys and the livestock. It's like, my wife is in Pharaoh's house. And all of these little decisions he had made up to that point, and this crack started forming, all of a sudden blew wide open. And Abram, who had this hot wife, all of a sudden was in hot water. And so the crack widens. And the unconceivable or the inconceivable, he just didn't see coming, all of a sudden took place. And Pharaoh himself steps into the cracks as they split wide open as they always do. Isn't that what sin always does? These little cracks that we allow to form in our decisions when our faith begins to falter, they, they don't just stay cracks. They split wide open and all of a sudden there's some serious trouble. But the story's not finished. The story's not finished. <clears throat> but Abraham's plan, Abraham's plan jeopardized a bunch of things. It jeopardized the land that he, had, that he had been promised. It jeopardized his descendants. He had put a whole bunch of people that were with him and who would come after him in jeopardy. And it jeopardized God's promise to him that he would be a blessing, that he would not bring harm, but he was supposed to bring blessing to the world. And that would start with his own family. And so it jeopardized things at three major levels. So Abram's plan, Abram's plan, 
has been an utter and harmful disaster and all seems lost. But then God. This is where the story turns. But then God. Then God acted on behalf of Sarah and Abraham and we see number three, the correction of unbelief. I love how verse 17 starts. And friends, if there are three words or one concept that I would like you to walk away with this morning from this passage, it is these three words. But the Lord. But the Lord. Say it with me. But the Lord. But the Lord. This is where our faith makes all the difference. Makes all the difference. Because the promises of God and the blessing that he pours into our life and that he wants to give to other people, they really have nothing to do with us. And everything to do with him. And so we need to press into him and not take matters into our own hands. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So God's beginning to correct things here. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister, you liar? So that I took her for my own wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her. Get out of here. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. They sent him packing. This was a, an episode of border security that you've never seen before, ever. Love that show. <laughs> God inflicted plagues. Uh, commentators say that it's probably a serious disease of the skin on Pharaoh and his whole household. And we're not sure exactly how Pharaoh put all the pieces together, but it probably had something to do with seeing this new wife that he had with clean skin, unafflicted, and going, what's up with that? How come, how come you're clean and we're all afflicted? And I'm sure the interrogation began, which really quickly led to, you know, another thing that my mom used to say, be sure your sins will find you out. Did, you think, did your parents ever say that to you too? God has a way. God has a way of getting to the truth. And he did it through Pharaoh. Pharaoh put the pieces together and he goes to Abraham and rebukes him three times. What's this you've done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? You could have just told me the truth. Why didn't you say she's, why did you say she's my sister? Get out. Abraham, Abram is, is busted. He has, he has no response. His silence spoke volumes. And to quote Kent Hughes, who said, this great giant of faith had become for the present a very small man. And he felt it. Ever been there? Great person of faith, trusting the Lord, and all of a sudden it's all stripped away and you become a very small person. I've been there. Abram is the man of promise, but Pharaoh is more righteous than he. What are we supposed to see in this? That a life of faith is dependent on the greatness of God, not the wisdom of man. Listen, the only thing, we need to get this, the only thing that separates a Christian, hopefully that's all of us in the room today, but if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, we're gonna open that opportunity up for you today. But the only thing that uh, separates the believer 
in Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus, and a non-Christian, the only thing is the grace and the promises of God. (laughs) But the Lord... That is it. We are no better. In fact, we are often worse. We are often worse. And that is why we need the grace and the mercy and the promises of God so desperately. Though our sin is many, his mercy is more. Can I get a witness to that? Amen. (laughs) Thank you. What we're supposed to see is that if the purposes of God are going to stand, then God must make it happen. And, and, and listen, God will do whatever it takes to correct any inkling of any notion that you or I might have that the earth revolves around us. Because it doesn't. <laughs> Get used to it, brother. It doesn't. Abram learned this early on in his faith as a youngster in the faith, even though he was already 60 to 70 years old. Um, I learned it early in my ministry, but you know, the, uh, the, the uh, weird thing is I must be a slow learner because I've had the stuffing knocked out on me probably three times already in ministry. So Lord, <sighs> I'm finished, strike three. <laughs> We must all learn this if we were to walk the walk of faith. That God will do whatever it takes to correct any inkling of any notion that the earth revolves around us because it doesn't. It revolves around the sun. So let's apply this a couple of ways. I want to get back uh, to this whole concept of famine for a minute and just talk about uh, the thing that led to the cracks in Abram's unbelief and his faltering, his footsteps, which uh, really became scary. Had God not corrected it, he would have been done. And so famine uh, does a couple of things. First of all, famine reveals the condition of my heart. It revealed the condition of Abram's heart. The famine came and, and Abram took matters into his own hands and he ran. So what do you do this morning? What do you do in times of difficulty or trial or crisis or famine? Where do you run? Where, where do your cracks first start to show? It's called stepping out of denial and facing the truth. What is your alternative to trusting God? What is your Egypt? Where do you run to when the pressure is on? In Freedom Session, we call it our drugs of choice, the things that we turn to rather than God. And, and uh, we always say, like, Freedom Session is for everyone. It doesn't mean that you're a drug addict, although you could be. Your drug of choice could be heroin or fentanyl or an opioid of some kind, a, a pain reliever. It could be alcohol, but it also could be workaholism. It could be food or sex or pornography or shopping or exercise, or television, or people-pleasing, or, or, or. What do you turn to when you're faced with famine? What do your patterns of sin when life gets tough expose about where your love and your loyalties lie? 
You see, difficult circumstances, they don't cause our sin because uh, we're not promised an easy life. But what they do is they bring out our fears to the surface and they expose really the idolatry of our hearts and the things that we would rather trust in than God. Abraham feared danger. He feared losing his livestock, his family. And so he took matters into his own hands. And, and because he loved safety and security more than God, he chose to go to Egypt. That was his drug of choice in that moment. What do you fear? And how does that lead you to sin? You see, running when famine comes is human nature. We actually have two choices. This is another thing we learn in Freedom Session. You can either flee or fight. You, you have a couple of choices or you can press into God. Abraham was a flighter, a fleer, not a fighter. Other, other people in Scripture, King David probably would have fought his way through it. What do you do? The deadly combination is the passive-aggressive approach like me, where you flee a little bit and then you fight later. <laughs> Those are the hardest people to figure out. But it's not the life of faith. <clears throat> this doesn't mean that we sit back and do nothing, but it means that when the famine comes, we trust God, we press into him all the more in those times. And we can't do it alone. We're not meant to live this life of faith alone. You need your life group to support you. You need your accountability partners that you're meeting with. If you have a serious drug of choice that you go to over and over again, when life gets hard and difficult, you need at least one, probably two or three close friends in your life of the same gender who will hold you accountable and help you press into God. They will pray for you and they will pray with you. Philippians chapter 4, 19, we need to take seriously, friends. The scripture says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. He will supply the need. Secondly, famine creates, uh, not only does it reveal my character, but it, re it creates a recipe for change. Friends, famine are actually part of God's plan for us at times. He, he will create things sometimes in our life. This was out of Abraham's control, but I, I, I sometimes wonder if it wasn't a learning experience for Abraham where God said, okay, we're going to see the strength of his character and faith and the strength of his God in this. It's a tool that God uses for our good. It's, uh, famine is what he uses to change us. And that's why when we say, as a, as to remember what Jesus did on our behalf as a lead up to Easter, which is so close now, where Lake Arak is going to launch and we're celebrating that, we begin this season of Lent, a period of intentionally pressing into God and fasting from things in order to show us just how much we need him. And fasting, famine does that. And so when we intentionally take on a famine where we, where we fast from food or whatever, for a period of time, it, show, it strengthens our faith and our character when, when we take initiative and do it first. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, 
Got a question for you this morning. How many of you want to lack in nothing? You're not putting your hands up because you know where this is going, right? (laughs) I'm going to ask it again. How many of you want to lack in nothing? There's some people that really want to lack stuff. I mean, good on you. But I I honestly don't. I don't want to lack anything. I don't. But seriously, then, the next time that a trial or a famine comes into your life, I I would challenge you with this. Embrace it with joy. Embrace it with joy. Turn it over to God and let him work it out. And Marcy and I are facing one as we speak. You've heard us share a little bit about our son. We do so carefully, especially from the pulpit. (laughs) But there's a bit of famine going on and Josh, our son, has um, some significant hurdles to clear in the coming weeks. And so we continually have to ask ourselves, are we embracing this with joy and turning over to God or are we living in fear and trusting our own wisdom? very practical for us right now, just so you know. Uh, Four years ago, a police officer in our church at Central was charged with three very serious offenses related to an arrest that he made while he was on the job. Where a, and I know, and I know this officer well, uh, where the so-called victim claimed that excessive force was used. Turns out it, it wasn't. But he went through a four-year process in the courts where he was immediately suspended without pay. He lost his job. He lost his income. His name was dragged through the mud. He lost his reputation. He incurred huge legal bills, making the sale of his home necessary. He lost really his house, his security. A couple of weeks ago, after a very lengthy trial, a literal trial, He was cleared of all the charges as a 90-minute verdict uh, that I attended in New West was read by the judge. So you you think that I have long sermons? Try listening to a judge for 90 minutes, all right? No complaining. All right. (laughs) A few days before the verdict was given, uh, a few of us, Pastor Matt was there as well. We got together to pray with him and his wife and some of their family and close friends. And as we were sharing and praying, and I've, um, I've heard him say this before, he said, you know what, it was this situation four years ago that led me to faith in Christ. He became a believer because of what he went through, because of what was put upon him. He needed God so desperately, he put his faith in Christ. And I've never heard this from her before, but she, with, with weeping and tears, yet with joy in her face, said, honestly, the past four years, as hard as they have been, have been the best years of our marriage. Those who've been through serious trials know what they're talking about. Tabidi Anabwili, he said this, and the quote will be on the screen. God is as sufficient with our suffering as he is with his son's blood. Your suffering, Christian, is your slave. Your suffering is working for you to produce an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
The next time suffering comes into your room, say, welcome, my slave. Produce for me the glory that God has designed. Whew. I had a teacher who once said, after something weighty, put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> no, seriously, don't do that. But this, this is good. Third, famine, and this is the most important. Famine reveals the character of God. Famine reveals primarily his power, but also his incredible love for us. It's amazing, the mercy, the second chance, whatever you want to call it, that God gave Abram. Isn't it amazing? That he got out of that situation with his family intact, his wife untouched, with more blessing and resources than he had going in. God knew what he was doing. Abraham made some really dumb moves, but God made some pretty awesome moves. Without famine, we would never know the presence, the provision, or the person of Christ. Someone once told me that when we are being pruned, which is probably the most painful time in our lives as Christians, the most painful time for a plant, it's when the gardener is the closest. It's when the gardener is the closest, is when we're being pruned. Romans chapter 8, 35 to 38, many of us know it well. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, all of them, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Nothing. And famine reveals this awesome character of God. That he loves you that he's merciful, that he's compassionate, that he provides. And he loves us enough to correct us and get us back on the right path. Listen, friends, Abraham is not the hero of the story. God is. Abraham told a lie to save his own life. When you look at Jesus, he lived a life of truth and put his life on the line for us. Abram got tripped up when the trials came. Jesus, he did not get tripped up. Even when the trials took him all the way to the cross, he went without food in the wilderness. He did not rely on his own devices or succumb to the schemes of Satan for food and nourishment, but he relied completely on the word of God. And Abraham will prove to be a great man of faith, but Jesus is beyond that. He is the perfect man of faith. And would you this morning put your trust in Jesus? Don't put your trust in a great person of faith. Become a great person of faith who trusts in Jesus, the perfect man of faith. And the beauty of the gospel, the good news, is that when you put your faith in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, and because you're in Christ, he not only saves you, but he empowers you to live this life of faith. So this morning, if your faith is faltering because of a famine, he will give you grace. He will give you grace for your fears and for your failures. 
and he will give you the power of his spirit as you rely on his word and his promises and you wait for its fulfillment. So when, not if, but when trials come, don't turn to your own resources, but trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Let's pray. Oh God, you're so good. You are so good to us. You're so good to me. Lord, the amount of times where my faith has faltered and I have fallen flat on my face and hurt myself, you are there to love me, to pick me up, to be gracious to me, to set me back on my feet, pointed in the right direction. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, that you are the perfect person of faith who did not falter all the way to the cross upon which your blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. You took our place. You took my place. And we say thank you. Help us to trust you more. Help us to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen.